Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night for our Bible study. I'm excited to see you. I'm thankful for our time together. We're launching into a new series tonight. We're going to be talking uh, as we are refocusing, heading into, I'm sorry to say this, heading into the fall. I apologize. I'm, I'm trying. I don't want it to sneak up on you. Okay. And so we're going to, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about core strength. Um, this is something that has taken our world by storm in the sense of core strength in the natural. But if we're going to be strong Christians, what is the core of who we are? What's the core of what we believe? Uh, and so we're going to really focus on this. Starting tonight, I'm going to let you know ahead of time what we're going to talk about tonight. They're going to pass some bookmarks out, I think. I don't, I don't know when and how. Did you get them already? Okay. So we're going to talk about a couple of things, and, and this is kind of developed out of a, a core curriculum um, a friend of mine, L.J. Harry, had put together years ago, and we've done a little modification. You know, we need to know why we believe what we believe. <laughs> Amen. And so tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put this out there in front of you. If you're one of those people that has to work ahead, some of you have already read the first half, if not the whole bookmark. You know who you are. Um, and so that's only part of what we're going to discuss tonight. And so you've got to leave a little bit there um, for some of you, but we're going to talk about why do we even believe the Bible's real? You ever been posed with a question like that? Hey, that's great that you can quote that, but how do I even know that's real? Because uh, my pastor said so. That <laughs> doesn't work, okay? doesn't work. We've got to know why. We've got to have some ammunition of our own, so that's a little bookmark about that, some of those facts, and we're going to talk about some more. And secondly, we're going to talk tonight about if we believe the Bible is real, then what does it actually say about Jesus Christ? Because we do a lot around here about praising Jesus. And I've had some very well-meaning people. I don't want this to come across uh, any other way than pure. So please feel my spirit. I have had well-meaning people ask me why in this church, why do you give so much time to Jesus and not enough to God? Listen now, to some of us that know, to some of us that know and understand, that seems humorous. But to others that we are reaching and winning, we need them to understand why. Does it, does it really cover all the bases if they just come in and worship with us? It's not our job to clap about what we do not even understand. But we need to believe and we need to be firmly rooted in what we believe. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just turn your attention to one scripture to get us launched tonight. Very familiar. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up here. Now I'm going to tell you in advance, 
I'm going to move through a lot of scripture tonight. If you're one of those people that likes to highlight your Bible, I'm going to enjoy listening to those pages turn. If not, we will put these notes on Planning Center. Um, You'll be able, if you have the app, if you don't, be a great reason for you to download the Church Center app. Go to Calvary. I'm going to tell you one reason today I needed to find a date. I just went to the Church Center app and all of the upcoming events. So God bless the the team for working on that. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time together tonight. I pray that you would help me to teach. I pray that you would help me to be effective. I'm asking for that. Let our hearts and our minds be ready to receive the word of the Lord. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. Okay, so the, the scripture or the Bible. How many believe that this is the inspired word of God? We believe that here. This is a... This is a Bible teaching, Bible preaching church. So then that means that we believe that the Bible is God breathed. Okay? It's as if God breathed life into the Bible. Making what we have in our hands, whether it is physical in leather and paper, or whether it is a digital contraption that you hold, it makes it the word of God. Not just another book, but the Word of God. Now, this is critical. Men may have written the Bible, but God authored the Bible. Okay? They might have done the physical writing, but God is its author. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 tells us how the Bible came to us. God inspired holy men to write. They they applied their pen to paper or to papyrus to write the word of God. Some skeptics will argue that the Bible is simply a compilation of works written by men and therefore we should not believe it. It is true that the word of God or the Bible was written by men but it was not authored by men. That needs to be a part of your language. It was authored by God. Okay, so let's talk about this. How do we begin to prove this? Not that we're constantly walking around trying to prove, but we need to know that prophecy is more than a word we use in church. Okay? Prophecies are one of the greatest proofs that this book is not just another book. Prophecies. Okay? There are majors, there are minors, there are multiple books, five books that only have one chapter, you know, and then there are some that you think that writer got carried away. No, God authored, God authored. There are major prophets and minor prophets, okay? Minor prophet does not mean what they had to say was less important, okay? He was a minor prophet, you know. He was, no, there's major and minor prophets. But all of these prophecies were made 
and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Here's, here's some just to name a few as far as prophecies are concerned. Jesus would be born of a virgin. The prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14. The fulfillment, Matthew 1, 23. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. It's fulfilled in Matthew 2 and 6. Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver as prophesied in Zechariah 11 and 12 and then fulfilled in Matthew 26 and 15. Jesus would be pierced, Zechariah 12 and 10. It was fulfilled and recorded in John 19 and 34. Jesus' executioners would gamble for his garments is what was recorded in the prophecy of Psalm chapter 22 and verse 8 and its fulfillment was in Matthew 27 and 35. None of Jesus' bones would be broken according to Psalm 34 and 20 as prophecy and its fulfillment is in John chapter 19 and verse 36. Isaiah 53 and 9 says Jesus would be buried with the rich. Matthew 27, 57 through 60 gives the fulfillment. Jesus would rise from the grave, Psalm 16 and 10, and the fulfillment can be read about in Matthew 28. Could all of these prophecies of Christ alone simply have been good guesses? Oh, they just got a few right. Okay, let me show you the mathematical likelihood that these prophecies, just these eight prophecies, is one in ten octillion. That's, that's, yeah, that's a lot of zeros. That's 27 zeros after, it's, it's about how much is in some of your bank accounts. That, right. I feel somebody's spirit say, Jesus. I'm taking that prophecy. <laughs> oh, that's just coincidental. Do you know that historically, one of the now greatest, absolute greatest things that brings strength to text is the almost undeniable reality that his resurrection occurred? Historians, they do not want... It's given great, great ammunition to the church, those who love apologetics in the last 10 to 15 years. But we've already believed it by faith. But I'm going to tell you, our faith is not blindly. Listen, it's not blindly there. We have backing. These prophecies, fulfillment in the life of Christ alone, one in 10 octillion. You need to write that down, or it's probably on your little hand out there. Okay? It's difficult to picture the overwhelming odds like the, like the ones that I've just shared with you. It's, it's hard to see that. So let me give you an illustrative, something that you could maybe think of. If, if you covered the state of Texas with silver dollars and marked one of them, then a, then a blind man found the marked coin on the first try. That's the likelihood. It's real. It's real. <laughs> Praise God. Let's talk about this. History confirms the Bible as the Word of God. Some things about your scripture to know, some things about this Word that we carry around in our phones with us and we, we read our daily bread out of and, and some of you work through bread charts. How many in here, let's do a little poll of the crowd. How many of you in here, you prefer this, this right here? You prefer leather bag. <laughs> Look, 
Now, don't be intimidated. Some of y'all lifted your hands real slow, like you got intimidated into that, like, oh, yeah, me, me too, me too. How many of you, be honest, you're a digital person. You'd rather, you'd, this, this is you. Wow. I feel like, okay, everyone that brought a leather Bible, raise your hand. Look at all the Bibles in here. I'm so proud of you. That's great. Okay, so let's think about this Bible right here, this, whether it's, whether it's on this or on this. And Bible was written on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Some scholars believe that Moses wrote parts, parts of the Pentateuch in Egypt, the continent of Africa. The Bible was written by nearly 40 different people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Some of them are some of them are pastors, sure, but there's also kings and poets and shepherds, prisoners, fishermen, a doctor got in the mix, a tax collector, <laughs> a bunch of musicians got in there. First of all, I think it's a good point that your profession should not determine your level of spirituality. Their professions and personalities were quite different, but their message complemented rather than contradicted. Why? Because God was the author. That's why God will not give somebody on this side of the church a private revelation than somebody on this side of the church that's in contradiction with a word that he authored. Won't happen. Well, pastor, I don't know. The Lord spoke to me. I can tell you whether or not the Lord actually spoke to you. Tell me what he said, and if it contradicts this word, I am not afraid to look back at you and say, no, he didn't. The Lord didn't speak to you. You ate pizza last night. Don't do that anymore. If it contradicts the word he authored, God is not a contradictor of his own word. It is proven over and over and over again. It's, it spans a period of 16 centuries. Over 1,600 years, nearly 40 different people write all of these works that would later be classified. We are ending up with 66 different works like we talked about last week. We, we've got all of these works and never do they contradict. Because God authored the text. I'm going to tell you, this is, the kind of, this is the kind of ammunition I want our young adults to have when they walk onto their college campuses and their philosophy mate. Or some, or some, oh, I don't want to be ugly. Some young person that loves their right to protest wants to be dogmatic about religion. And I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, while we honor some senses of religion, we are not about religion. We're about relationship. And if I'm going to have a relationship with him, then I want his word. Amen? I want his word. What did he author? So over 1,600 years, it's written. To the average Bible study that I teach, that's a little overwhelming, but it's comforting to know that it is not contradicted. The Bible is written in multiple genres. It fits us, really. There's history and poetry there's a little romance in there. There's narrative. There's personal letters. There's proverbs. It goes on and on. 
The historical people in here probably love the history books of the Bible. One of the beautiful things about being uh, apostolic in doctrine and Pentecostal in experience is the book of Acts is our greatest historical uh, book in all of the text. It, 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 is, it is the history in regards to the early church. It is, you can prove those facts over and over again. It's written in all these different genres. That's why somebody in here, you just love to read Daniel. You love to read Ezekiel. You know who you are. My Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation people. It's just how it is. Some people are just, they love that. And there's other people, all they want to read is Proverbs and Psalms. And some people, it's the Gospels, right? Just love reading the gospel. I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there's no bad part of it. It all works together, complementing complementing each other. So both the Old and the New Testament were actually written. You probably know this, but in case you don't, and I know you didn't sign up to go to Bible college, but let's talk about this. There was not originally any chapter and verse assigned. We do know that, right? We, we, we need to be aware of that, that that is something that occurred over time. And I'm going to tell you, thank the Lord. Without chapter and verse, imagine them saying, hey, I want you to memorize the scripture. That means memorize it all. Think about, the, think about the requirements in the time of Christ when he is a young, he's a young boy and we think about him at 12 sitting there in the temple and he is quoting with the doctors and the scribes and they're, they are in awe. But it was normative behavior in that day. If a young boy was going into the priesthood by the time they turned 12, they had already memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. Whew. I know some of you are like, I did that. That's no big deal. We have a uh, kind of an interesting study if you want to if you want to get into that the 1200s through the 1500s starting kind of with a, a guy by the name some of you are already thinking it in your head Stephen Langston and go all the way to the 1500s in the Geneva Bible and I I think God some people are so against technology let me rewind something without technology of his day we wouldn't have this technology's of the devil no the devil's of the devil okay. You know when telephones first came out, there was an entire movement against them because the first word of hello is hell? <laughs> Do the study on that. Ladies and gentlemen, anything can be simplistic. If you want to, you can try to find a devil up under every rock. Okay? Can I tell you, uh, there's this great thing called common sense. <laughs> I'm getting carried away. Um... So what, is, what does it mean? What does canon mean or canonical? Sister Mass, did I say that right? Is it canonical? Okay, I'm going to give you one more. Canonicity? Am I? <laughs> I always, I, when I was first learning those words, I, I've got some that I still, it depends on how far from the south you are, how you say it. So what does canon mean? What does canonicity mean? Okay, the word canon means reed. The reed was that measuring rod. It implies the standard. Later, the term meant an official or accepted list of books. And if you do any real study, you will find that there are scholars that consistently want to argue canon. Well, they want to run it through this 
gauntlet of proofs. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a blanket statement that won't, won't pass the rule for some, but it should be good for us. If it made it in the book, it's canon. If it made it in the book, it's canon. Okay, some skeptics claim that we're missing books in the Bible that, that would absolutely contradict the Bible. Number one, the New Testament never quotes anything after the book of Malachi. Okay, nothing's quoted after the book of Malachi. The Bible mentions books like the book of Enoch, the book of Jasher. We know that those are mentioned. However, just because they're mentioned does not make them canonical. Some of you are thinking, Pastor Carson, I don't care about this at all. Some of you have been in the middle of an apologetics defense with a neighbor or a friend, and right now you're saying, how did he know I'm dealing with this? Okay? But for everyone in the room, you need to know if somebody at the supermarket or somebody at the barber shop or somebody at the wherever comes up to you and begins to challenge, you can look real smart to say, well, you know, there is a difference between canonical and non <laughs> Just put them in a backpedal. Okay? Just because they're mentioned does not make them a part of canon. For example, in Acts chapter 17, Paul referenced the Greeks' own poets while preaching at Mars Hill. But the works of heathen people were obviously not meant to be a part of the canon. Well, they were mentioned. They were wrong. You can be historical without being canonical. Okay? And so a lot of people want to talk about this when God stopped talking. So following Malachi here, when God ceased to speak or stopped speaking after the book of Malachi was written, the Old Testament, this is important to know, what we would consider the Old Testament, that canon closed for good. Not to be reopened, but closed for good in that sense, okay? These 400 years would be known as the silent years. There were other historical books written during this time. A lot of people have had these questions over the years. Yeah, but what about what they found? And what about it's been unearthed? And what? One in ten octillion. He knows what he's doing. Okay? He knows what needs to be orchestrated. There are other historical books which were written, but they were not canon. Jesus makes the statement, from the blood of Abel, Unto the blood of Zacharias. He makes that statement in Luke chapter 11 verse 51 if you want to mark it. What, what that would be similar to for us would be like saying from Genesis to Malachi. To him, we understand the description there. Life was in the blood. Life was in the blood. His word was and is living. How many believe that? His word's living. It is our representation, the word of God. So how about a major New Testament test? The major test uh, uh, of a New Testament book was apostolic and is apostolic authority. Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. He preached the first message of the church. He and the other disciples were among those who wrote many of the New Testament books. Just as in the Old Testament Apocrypha, there were some historical books written during this time, but they are not canonical. They're not included in canon. The New Testament was written and circulated while some of the apostles were still alive. 
Think about this. These were not books written hundreds of years earlier after, or hundreds of years after Jesus had walked the earth. But the writers had a front row seat to the miracles that Jesus had been working and the parables that Christ had been teaching. They were not trying to remember what had happened from decades or centuries before. They were eyewitnesses and they spread the gospel in their very lifetime. So what are the tests for us? Just as there were tests to, discern, to determine what books should be included in the canon, there were also very stringent rules for scribes copying the Scripture. How many know that every copy you get isn't necessarily right? In his book, New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Joshua McDowell lists from the following. Okay, This was about the scribes that were... That were that were copying, trans, transcribing the word of God. Each sheet was measured with exact guidelines. Lettering had exact rules and shapes. No two letters were allowed to touch. All letters were spaced exactly by a hair. Not a single letter was to be written from memory. Every word was to be looked at, pronounced aloud, and then written. Woo, tedious. Some of you that are thinking that you just look at something while you type, imagine that. They don't even teach cursive in most schools anymore. God forbid, that's another topic. To write the name of the Lord, the pen had to be cleaned, the scribe consecrated, and he was not to respond to a distraction even if a king addressed him because he was writing the name of the Lord. Oh for, a, oh, for a revival. Oh, for a revival for the love of the name of the Lord. Jesus, we love you. Whew. I think we ought to just tell him, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. I don't even want to move forward in this lesson without stopping to tell you, Lord, we love you. We don't have anything with you. We have no word to study without you. We have, we have no history to talk about without you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Praise God. Amen. If more, watch this, if more than three marks had to be corrected, the entire sheet of parchment was to be condemned. I don't think they put it in a shredder, but maybe a fire, I don't know. At the end of each sheet, every word and letter was to be counted. The scribes knew the exact middle word, even letter in the book. At the end of the 5th century, the scribes worked in the presence of a proofreader who checked each word before proceeding. Why? Because God authored. And one of the worst things we could ever do is to add or detract. That's why I refuse, A, I refuse to take away from what is the Word of God to make it easier to live. And B, I refuse to add to it to make people happy. I don't want to do it. Why? Um, oh. Do you know anybody that anytime they tell your story, they have to make it a little better? <laughs> I love these people. 
And I understand, you know, just a little demonstrative. And, and, and you'll say something and then they repeat it, but they don't really repeat it. It's like, wow. Even I didn't know that happened. The last thing we want is God to be surprised when we talk about His Word. Brother Faulkner, what a travesty for me to say, the Word of the Lord. And then God say, I didn't say that. That's why we've got to be careful that we don't lift these large theological boulders that are stretched out of context. Hmm. Don't say, thus saith the Lord, if it's really thus saith me. Let's keep going. If the Bible truly is the Word of God, we're kind of going on this here a little bit. So if the Bible truly is the Word of God, then here's my main question, because we as apostolics, it means that we believe in the doctrine of the apostles. That's what apostolic... Have you ever had apostolic misquoted to you by someone? What? Apostolic? So you're apostolic. Yes. Yes, I am. I'm apostolic, which means the doctrine of the apostles. Okay? If I believe in the doctrine of the apostles, then the chief witness for everything I do, live, say, invoke, all of it is tied up in the name of Jesus Christ and the identity of Jesus Christ. Okay? Knowing the name does not mean knowing the person. It does not. I grew up in Illinois. Sorry for anyone that didn't like the Bulls. I grew up loving Michael Jordan. I can... It's not even worth it. I, I, uh, I grew up loving Michael Jordan, and I could tell you stats about Michael Jordan. I did not know Michael Jordan. I knew of Michael Jordan. The amazing thing about Jesus Christ is I need to A, know of him, but B, I need to actually have a relationship with him. But if he was only a person, then Christianity is impossible. Christianity is impossible if he was only a person. But I think he's more. I think he's more than a person. And I'm not trying to just preach to the choir here. I'm trying to teach that we need to be armed with this stuff. Okay? If you've been in church for many years and you cannot readily call to account several verses that, that show clearly God in Christ, then I'm asking you to take some homework home from these scriptures or to get on PCO after we list these on and write them down in your Bible and highlight them or get you a little piece of paper or a post-it. Make your Bible just look crazy like mine if you need to. 
Get it marked up. So let's talk about this. If the Bible truly is the word of God, which we've spent the first three quarters talking about, it is the word of God. If so, and I'm a Christian, then what does this word say about Christ? Because I need to tell you, really, everything about this book was leading to Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. Isaiah 7 and 14, that prophecy Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. What will His name be? Emmanuel. It literally is interpreted God with us. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born. It's not Christmas time. No, it's not, but it's Christ time. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Please note this. Isaiah prophesied of Jesus nearly 600 years before he was born. This prophecy making it clear that Jesus, the Son of God, would be known as the Mighty God and the Everlasting Father. I need, you to, I need to tell you something. Do not be scared by the words or the terminology, the Son of God. Hear me, real clear. He was the Son of God. But I thought He was God. He was. We're headed there. Being God and being Christ was not in contradiction. Can I tell you this is one of the number one things that even seasoned believers trip up on? I believe he's one. I just don't really know how to prove it. We've got to be tied into the scripture. So, so let's look at this a little bit. Okay? Isaiah 40 and 3. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for who? Our God. Isaiah said, there's a child going to be born. <laughs> the government, it's going to be on his shoulder. He's going to be wonderful, counselor. I don't think any part of that entire prophecy made the devil as mad as when he went, comma, what? Okay, mighty God, mighty God. Because God was the author. God was not intimidated to say God was coming. 600 years prior, he was fulfilling the prophetic promise. I'm, I'm coming, just write it. That's why you shouldn't get overwhelmed if he gives you a promise that doesn't come quick. He told me last year it'd be better and it's not better yet. 600 years. He's got a different time frame, ladies and gentlemen. So prepare the way of the Lord and make straight the desert highway for our God. When we read when we read Lord in all capital letters like it is in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, when we read it in all capital letters in the Bible, God's not yelling at us. It's not like you're reading it, you prepare you the way for the Lord. It's not what's happening, okay? He's revealing himself to us as, as Yahweh, the I am. God's covenant name was so revered that his people would scarcely say it. 
Rather, they wrote Lord to keep from profaning or from making common the holy name of God. Isaiah, Isaiah made this prophecy and then, then where would the fulfillment be? The fulfillment, John the Baptist would fulfill it by preparing. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make the highway in the desert. What's John the Baptist? He comes walking up. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Mm. Mm. I'm sorry, I love this word. I love this word. I love this word. We got a world that is so lost and I, I'm convinced if they knew who Jesus was. Woo. If they knew, if they knew, if they knew, if they knew that he was more than just a name, but he's, he's God manifest. Micah 5 and 2, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, go, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is going to be a ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old. Please catch the end of that. Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. What? What? Micah prophesied exactly where Jesus was going to be born to the very city. And he gave us insight when G, where Jesus would come from. He, he, he was coming from old. He was coming from everlasting. There was nothing before God. We're, I, I saw Brother Turner. I don't want to embarrass him. We were doing a minister's deal, and he was talking about Scripture. And, the, and Scripture being given for who? For men. Scripture was given for us. You know, before he created us, there was no need. Scripture came out of him for us. And if you really study that text, we flowed out of him. We did. We came. The church was birthed out of him. That's why the enemy does not have the right to come and steal us from him. You have to surrender him being your father. Hmm. Micah said he came from everlasting. Somebody say everlasting. The New Testament's testimony, John chapter 20 and 28. Thomas was so overwhelmed when he realized Jesus really had risen. He called Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. Well, that's not that impressive. Thomas walked with him. Walking with him and knowing him. I... I had the uh, distinct opportunity, as sad as it was, to be yesterday at the funeral of a close friend. And um, one of my other dear friends was speaking the, the funeral, and it was a weighty task. But as the family had been preparing, they had done this beautiful video documentary, and they were telling these stories. And I, I, I don't think, you know, there were several things that were said. I was saying, I didn't even do that. I knew him so, so well. And I didn't know that part of him, that side of him. And then when Brother Enzi got up, who was speaking the funeral, and he began to speak, he said, I, I lost track how many times we were together. I didn't know that about him. And the crowd kind of chuckled because it was some humorous parts about his life. Do you know that, that if we're not careful, we could come to church and not know him? We could own a Bible and not know him? Hmm. I, I don't want to just learn about him. I want to be in relationship with him and find those parts. 
Every now and then we'll be preaching and, and someone will get real excited and then, whoa, I never heard it. I'm not, I don't want to poke fun, but I'm privileged to preach a lot of camps and conferences and stuff like that. And every now and then you'll preach something and, and brother, brother Halka, I'll say something and somebody will go, whoa. You know why? Because they heard something, they, maybe they never heard it and it's a revelation. Our job for learning about scripture is not so that people in the crowd can go, oh, wow, I've never heard it like that before. It's not to impress people for flattery. It's so that we can learn. How do I, why do I want to know about him? Because in him, we live. In him, we move and we have our, yeah, it's in him. How do I live in him unless I spend time in his word? Praise God. My Lord, my God. Thomas was among the 12 who knew Jesus better than anyone. He walked with him. He ate with him. Slept in a tent next to him. And yet he proclaimed exactly who Jesus was after suffering. And unfortunately, I have found that a lot of revelation comes after suffering. Acts 20 and 28 we were admonished to feed the church of God, which he hath what? Purchased. Watch this. God don't have blood. Yeah, he does. Yes, he does. He came from old, from everlasting. God has blood. It's God's church. Wait a minute. It's Jesus' church. You're right. That's the Holy Ghost church. Uh-huh. It is. Because she, Isaiah had prophesied he was coming, but in Matthew, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Acts 20 says, he purchased us with, it's the church of God with his own blood. Wait a minute, it was Jesus' blood. That's right. It was the blood. It was the flesh side of God. Wait a minute. That's just what the Bible says. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to make this up. It's real. It's in there. Brother Marshall, how many times have you listened to little kids get up and quote scripture? So many times they, they quote that scripture and you're thinking what I'm thinking. I want them to not only be able to say it. I want them to know it. I want them to get it. Praise God. God doesn't have flesh and blood, but he purchased it with his own blood because he was God in the flesh. He was, he was that, that great I am. That great I am. One of the most revered ways of knowing God was revealed in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 that way. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, hath sent you. The Almighty God revealed himself to Moses as the I am. Jesus attributed that revered covenant name of God to himself. John 8, verse 24. I said therefore unto you, if ye believe not that I am he, Ye shall die in your sins, 
8.28 When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am He. John 18.4-6 Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him, went forth and said unto Him, Whom seek ye? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am He. And Judas also, which betrayed them, stood with them. As soon as He had said unto them, I am He, they went backward and fell on the ground. I'm going to tell you this. People might not like him, but everyone will in one day stand in awe of him. I don't want to wait until I'm forced to do it. You know, some people don't understand our worship and our praise, but it's because we have a revelation of who he is. It's because we know when I magnify Jesus, I am magnifying God. I, I don't... I don't mean this to sound critical, but I don't split my prayer time between Jesus and God and the Holy Ghost. I don't split that because when I say the name of Jesus Christ, I am magnifying the great I am of the Old Testament. When I say the name of Jesus, that's why we are not apologetic to clap our hands in church, to wave our hands, to worship Him. Why? Because the Bible is real and the Bible says that God was manifest in the flesh and... Woo! Forgive me, I'm just trying to get a little core strength about me because the world wants me to deny but he wants me to lift up my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Woo! It's all in Him. It's all in Him. Stand with me. That's uh, what happens when I don't preach on Sunday. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Mark 6, for they all saw Him. They were troubled and immediately he talked with them and said, be of good cheer. It's me. It's I. It's I. Be not afraid. Mark 6 is even more powerful than meets the eye. Jesus was more than just a man walking on the water to rescue some scared to death disciples in the middle of a, 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 of a storm. He literally said, Hey, calm down. The I am is here. And they weren't. It's not accidental that Peter was able to say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my... my oh, that's so confusing. It's not contradictory. It's enveloping. It's educationally enveloping. I hope I'm not boring you. I'm almost done. I feel the Holy Ghost so strong tonight. I want you to throw your hands towards heaven and just call on the name. Jesus. 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 We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. 
give you a handful more scriptures before I send you away if you want to jot them down. Romans 8 and 9. Not in the flesh, but the spirit. The spirit of God dwells in you. If, he have, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Ephesians 3, 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded in life, in love. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Know ye not that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, God, flesh, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, ascension, Spirit, Temple of God. Revelation 118, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which, which is and which was and which is to come. Which one is it? It's all of them. Yeah, I am. Just in case you don't know, I was. In case you get overwhelmed, I will be. How's that work? Jesus Christ, the same My, my, my. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to add much to the Bible. The Bible is pretty much powerful all by itself. How did John record it? In the beginning was the Word. Watch this. Word was with God. The Word was God. Remember this, okay? The Word was God because Scripture didn't need to be until you're to blame. I'm to blame. Really, let's just put it on Adam and Eve. It's... But, but verse 14 says the word became flesh. It dwelt among us and we, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace, full of truth. When he walked, he, my God, he was the word. He was the word. He's full of grace and full of truth. We always stop there. Go four verses later. Verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath. Declared him. God's invisible. God was invisible. You can't see the spirit, but you can see the me. Who are you? I am. It's the same reason he looked at Philip and said, have I really been so long with you? And you say, show us the father? Hmm. You ever wonder? You ever wonder how some people can be around him so long and not know him? I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm going to talk to me. You listen. I'll close my eyes. I don't even want to accidentally make eye contact. But Josh Carson, at some point, you got to get it together. you got to just live for God because he's worthy. Can't give up on God every time somebody new comes around. And every time some new wind of doctrine and, and some tradition. you just got to, you got to live for God. Have you been so long with me and you don't even recognize? 
That's why you can't tell me you're a spiritual Christian. You're a mature Christian. You're an apostolic and you can sit in the building but not be moved because it's not your music. If, if the lesson was more dynamic, I would show up. I'm going to say something to people here. You win because you came. But people watching online and people casually catching up on the podcast, you need to be at church. You need to come to church. Now, I know. Listen, there's work schedules that won't allow it. I know this sounds bold. You're like, you were doing so good. Come back. There's work schedules that won't allow it. There's real issues. There's... I'm going to say, I'm, 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 I'm talking to a pastor friend of mine. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and I said, and the whole staff could tell you, because I brought it up in staff meeting. I said, I want to win Wednesday nights. I want a full house on Wednesday nights. I want to make sure we have a full campus on Wednesday nights. I was telling a friend of mine, he was asking about numbers and statistically, what's our drop from Sunday morning to Wednesday night? And I told him the stats, and he said, man, that's good. And I said, not to me. It's not a, why? Wednesday's when we study the word. Wednesday's when we we dive into the word of God. Now there's people who can't make it. There's homebound saints and we honor you and we pray for you. And there's people in in, in sick room. You understand, please understand you. I think you feel the tenor of my heart and what I'm saying. If you can't make it, you can't make it. But to casually miss service. We need to do our best, ladies and gentlemen, as much as we can. Well, I made it Sunday morning. I don't need to go Sunday night. I'm going to be there on Sunday. Man, Wednesday's just too tough. We do our best to go wheels up, wheels down, 7 to 8 o'clock. And it's 8.04. I know. I'm landing. (laughs) Why do we do that? Because I want you to be able to make it a priority. To be in the house of God. Brother Henderson, you listened to me talk about it. John, you heard me listen, listen to me talk, didn't I, the other day. And you're thinking right now, I don't think you should probably say this in front of everybody. But it's my heartbeat. I think God's people got to come together. I think we got to study his word together. Lord, we love you. Oh, we love you. We're just committed to your work. Because we can't be committed to you without being committed to your word. We're thankful. We're thankful for the revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Not some hidden revelation. Not some private interpretation. But the revelation of who you are. As you dwell not only in your word and not only from the heavens and not only as you walked on the earth, but as you dwell in our hearts. As you live within your people. We honor you, O oh God. Would you lift your hands with me before we leave? And would you pray? I want you to pray a prayer with me. God, just baptize me with a love for coming together with the saints of God in your house. Just baptize me with a love for coming to church, for being at church, for, for studying your word, for being kind to people, for living the word out. God, I'm asking you to bless this church. And I, I know you can't bless us if we're not trying to be right by your word. So I, I want to be right by your word. 
I'm asking you to help me to teach and preach to these precious people. And those that are going to watch online, that they, they do. They can't get here physically. or they're, they're in another state or maybe they're watching from a facility tonight. They, they need to know and feel your love. And they're, they're even thinking right now, if only I could get to church. So I'm asking you to just send your spirit. Be with them, right? Ah, oh, I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Part of the way, part of the way we live for God. I was just raised this way and I think it's right. I don't, I don't think it's tradition, I think it's word. Part of the way we honor Him is, is we come together in the house of the Lord. We forsake not the assembly together of the congregation. Look around this room. This is a wonderful, isn't this exciting? Look how many people are sitting in here on a Wednesday night. Why are all those people there? Just to study the Bible. I had people tell me, we don't really, Wednesdays, you know, it's tough to get Here's my promise, okay? I'm gonna make a fresh promise. We're just over a year in. If you show up, I'll give you the best I can. I'll just give you the best I've got on Wednesday night according to what the Spirit is, is leading. We're about to start on a journey through the Bible on Wednesday night. I, could, I couldn't be more excited about it. We're just gonna work through the text. Harold Hoffman, I heard him say one time, and I've even said it here, sermonettes make Christianettes. I love you. So thankful for you. Thank you for being here on this Wednesday night. Take your altar with you. Take your word with you. I'm excited about our, uh, there's, there's prayer tomorrow at 11. There's, uh, there's evangelism and prayer on Saturday. There's a wedding on Saturday. We've got church Sunday morning, Sunday. Woo! We're going to have a great week. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.